What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I am unstoppable. I am. I am. I am. Keep telling myself that no matter what's going on. Uh, the word is inexorable. Write that word down. Inexorable. That word is, it means unyielding and unable to be stopped. I think about it every morning because not every morning I feel like getting up and get going. And I want to encourage you today as we get into this episode with my friend Mason Harris that you are unstoppable. You are unstoppable. Even if you don't think you are, I'm telling you right now, you are. And when I say something, I mean it. Damn it. Anyway, our guest today is Mason Harris. He's a speaker, writer, entrepreneur, and listener. He has authored The Hutzpah Advantage. By the way, go look that uh, spelling up. You need to know because it doesn't always look like that. It has a C in front of it. I've heard that word before. I never knew the spelling of it. It's a manual for going bigger, being bolder, and doing better in this challenging pandemic era. The book identifies proven behaviors that create the skill set of a chutzpah. Mason was born in New York City, the middle child of European immigrants, and was brought up to see America as a land of opportunity. Mason, welcome to the show. It is truly a pleasure to be here. I've had the good fortune to do uh, to listen to a number of your previous podcasts and your guests, and also hear you interviewed. And I am so looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. I appreciate you being here. And it's always great to start with gratitude. We have a tradition here to start the show by asking the question, Mason, what are you made of? Well, I'm made of my experiences and uh, what was brought to me and gifted to me by my parents and their experiences. I have uh, my parents are both immigrants, and from them I developed an appreciation for this country, with its faults, but more importantly, its opportunities. So I believe it's the land of opportunity. I don't see it as a land of entitlement. I believe that, for the most part, people can truly overcome ob- obstacles. You spoke about inexorable. Now, hopefully, I'm pronouncing it the same way you are. But in essence, the ability to overcome obstacles, to move forward. And that's critical to a lot of what you share and teach people, and I do as well. It's Love it. part of chutzpah, and it's part of the message you provide in your, in your exceptional book, Rocket Fuel. So let's go into the word chutzpah. Where did that come from? I, I mean, I know the word's out there, but where did it come from in your life, and why were you determined to use it in your book? Okay. Well, it is the origin, I believe, is Yiddish, although the concept is understood worldwide. I've spoken to people around the country people who probably have as much familiarity with Yiddish as they might Tagalog. So they might not come from uh, the coast where the word is more common and it's not a question of culture. We might be throwing it around regardless of our background. Let me ask you this, if I may, how would you define chutzpah? Because it's a word that I believe most people in our audience probably have heard at some point and have some perceptions about. And I started my interviews prior to writing my book with this question, how would you define it? Well, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard it, or if I do hear it, uh, you know, prior to talking to you, you know, we had a call before this 
is the it factor or the X factor or just what they say it. That's what I thought, whether that's right or wrong, but that's what came to me when I heard that. It is absolutely right. And it fits in within the 40 plus definitions I've heard of chutzpah, ranging from chutzpah one is good versus chutzpah is bad. It's terrible. People with chutzpah are selfish, demanding, and have no regard for others. Where on the other side, people with chutzpah accomplish amazing things. Elon Musk has chutzpah. Jeff Bezos has chutzpah. You have chutzpah. I think that everybody at some point in their lives has shown some chutzpah. And it could be as simple for the most introverted, shy person who asks somebody out on a date, who asks who proposes, who accepts a proposal, who searches for a job. So at, the, at one level, we all have it. It's a scale. And it's, in, in my definition, there are eight key behaviors and characteristics that combine to create this skill set. So when you say it's the it factor, for a lot of people it is. But I hesitate to, to make people think that if you don't have that it factor, if you're not on a hierarchy to own a company to, that's going to be billing $100 million, you have no chutzpah, that's not the case. You do have chutzpah because you can put your chutzpah, your self-advocacy into play by speaking up more in group meetings, by not listening when people say, Ah, those, we've already gone through that. Don't listen to that. Your ideas are important. So how do you advocate for yourself and move forward? That's part of the model. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, I've been in business for a long time. I've worked for corporations. One of the, the mortgage company that we have is under an umbrella and we run it like our own company under this umbrella. And one of the things that with, with that being said, I just jarred something when I was thinking about this is that when I started a, with this company and I brought 20 some employees with me from another company, the thing that ran through my head is I want to make everybody that works at the corporate, like the corporate, the head company, know who I am, be aware of that, and have the feeling that when the phone rings, they want to answer it. Not, oh shit, it's C-Rock calling. And build some kind of hotspot where they want to run through walls for me. Right. And, and that, so this is the thought that went through my head and as you're talking about that. So then when we have meetings at corporate meetings and all that, I made sure I'm seen. I make sure that I have something to say. I make sure that I have impact. And uh, I really live my life like I'm the only one on this planet that has impact. Not that I, other people can't, but like it's my responsibility to make sure it happens. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, good to speak to that. From what I've learned about your background, which is really unique, and I, I recommend that people listen to your podcast and especially to that uh, interview you had with Dr. Robert Schuster. Okay. But yours was not a privileged, easy childhood. What you have, what I learned is that your resiliency comes from within, comes from challenges that face you or comments made to you that made you think, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. And that actually takes us to potentially, actually one of the chapters in your book is called The Countdown Begins. It's chapter 17 and you do something very unusual. Your countdown is from 17 down to one. Your yeah. chapters are, are arranged like that. I thought it was extremely creative because it is a Thank countdown. You. It's a countdown for people to, to make changes in their lives to move forward. Okay. So the countdown begins, I would call in my model, and by the way, each of the letters of chutzpah stands for a different characteristic or behavior, which makes the model easier to remember. And then also when we think about our daily actions, we can say, you know, I think I need a little bit of that A from the chutzpah model. Actually, you and I 
Um, are you from the, you're from Maryland originally? Or yeah, I actually live in Ocean City, Maryland, and okay. I'm from outside of Philly and Wilmington, okay. Delaware area up there. Yep. Philly, Delaware, Maryland. I'm from New York originally. So mm-hmm. I have a, an amazing appreciation for great pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me too. <laughs> so, so if I was to say to our guests, our attendees on, on this, on this episode, think of a circle and then cut it into eight slices, like a pizza. And then if you write the letters of chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, into that, that becomes the basis of the model, okay? So I had said that for a moment you, uh, that uh, you started with the countdown begins. For me, it also represents the C in my model, which is carpe diem, which is eventually you got to get started or you don't have chutzpah. You can have all the great ideas in the world, but until you actually move forward, you actually make that decision, you implement, and you cause something to happen, there is no chutzpah. So let's take a story about somebody who's from uh, the New Jersey area originally, a woman. Her name is Barbara. And Barbara grew up dyslexic, was made fun of in school, actually had to leave her Catholic school because it was, uh, the teachers did not understand that it wasn't that she wasn't trying. She had something that was preventing her from learning the same way that others learned. Well, by the time Barbara was in her early 20s, she'd had, by her admission, some, something like 20-some some uh, jobs. She was waitressing, and one of her customers who became her boyfriend learned that she liked real estate and said, look, I am going to front some money so we can get started with a real estate firm. I'm the financial owner, and you're the operations manager. Let's see what we can do with it. Well, over 10 years, making sales, hiring reps, she built up a pretty good company. 10 years into this, into this her boyfriend, not married yet, says to her, I've got something I need to tell you. Sure, great. What? I'm marrying our receptionist. <laughs> I'm leaving you for our receptionist. Okay? So talk about adversity. Talk about a punch in the stomach. Mm. Okay? And then he said, we can either keep the company together and continue operating, but we're no longer obviously boyfriend and girlfriend, or we can split it up. Without hesitation, I want to split up the company. And almost like choosing sides in a courtyard basketball game. I got this person, you got this person, I got this person, you got this person. She leaves. He says to her, you know, you're not going to make it without me, which reminded me of one of your stories, by the way. And again, it'll probably come into your mind, you might want to share it, but you will not achieve what you want without me, as if I'm the person that's going to make you well. Well, that became a driving force to her. She starts her own company, and you probably know her as Barbara Corcoran, of Shark Tank and Corcoran Real Estate. Mm-hmm. This was her beginning. That was one carpe diem moment for her. One, okay, I started with him because that made the most sense at the time. Now I can stop and I can accept what's happened to me or I can move on again. I'm going to seize the day, seize the opportunity and start my own company and run with it. So that's the first of uh, the behaviors in the chutzpah model. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that story about her. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. I, I think first of all, I, I'm I'm still studying and learning. I never make it. I keep leveling up with my mind, understanding, and knowledge, and experience, and all that. But one thing I'm I, I looked at with this was that I think that before you get to a certain point, you need to use that toxicity. You need to use those people challenging you and what have you. And it's good to keep it in your back pocket, but it's still something that it limits you at some point. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I noticed that as I developed my engine, so to speak, to a higher octane engine, I needed higher octane fuel, but I couldn't access that fuel until I developed myself past a certain level. And you and I were talking offline about this before about toxicity versus constructive constructivity right. or, or constructivist, or I, I don't even know the word, but anyway, but when you get to a certain point where your, your, your engine is refined, you need a higher octane fuel. And that octane fuel is your dream. The higher octane fuel is your dreams and goals that you see now because your belief lid is blown off. And that fuel is so much more powerful, cleaner. And so I did use that, my dad throwing a hundred dollar bill at me right. when I was 11 or 10 or 11 years old and saying I was going to need it when I was living on the streets with my mother one day. But now it's like, I don't care about that because what up my studies, uh, the reason I brought that up, there's a particular book I've been reading recently. And, there, and it talks about dead man's goals. And it talks about the fears of other people. And at some point, you stop your own self-determinism and you go off of other people's goals and live off of other people's fears yes. without knowing it. And you really, until you get a hold of that, you're living someone else's life. And uh, so when you brought that up, I'm, I was just thinking about myself like, yeah, you could do that and take that challenge and use that fuel anywhere you can get it when you're at that lower level. You got to scavenge, right? Once you get to a certain point, like that, you just exit that from your life and you're looking for the, the thing that's out there in front in the future. You know what I mean? Right. You know, your point about how our motivations change when that incident happened uh, in your early days, and that's uh, what your dad said, that became a motivator. And you're right, you move beyond that and you have to find different rocket fuel to propel you to even greater heights. And in this short period, you, you just touched on two more of the, crit- the eight critical behaviors and principles of chutzpah. One, you said that you're a lifetime learner. You understand that where you are today has gotten you here. Where you're going to be tomorrow depends on your continuing to work hard, but your continuing desire to learn and search for more opportunities, to be aware. If you are stuck in 2020, 2022 even, by the time 2025 rolls around, you're way outdated. Your motivation, your skill set, you always need to keep upgrading. So two other chutzpah behaviors, and for people who've been keeping track, if they did that pizza model, that first C stands for carpe diem. I'm going to move now down to the U. I'm going to skip a couple because Mm -hmm. our conversation warrants it. And what you're calling spending a lifetime of learning, I look at the reason why you want that lifetime of learning is because you, you need to uncover need, pain, and opportunity. So now as salespeople, we understand the need and the pain side well. We know that a customer who has a need may or may not act on it, but a customer who understands the pain in not acting on a need, in not making the change, who realizes that the pain of staying with the existing solution versus moving to something different, something more appropriate, is uh, going to overwhelm them. When, when they realize that, you're right, I can't stay with the same, I can't leave that position unfilled right now because my teammates are suffering. Yep. That person's team is suffering. I know it's expensive. I know it's a pain in the, in the rear end to recruit, but I have to find the right person and fill it. That need, I know I need somebody, when it becomes a pain, they fill it. Okay. The uncovering opportunity is what entrepreneurs, small business owners, and even people within organizations who think create, creatively do. They say, you know, uh, Uber is a great example. When Uber was pitching its business plan and they had their deck out there and they were showing it to 
private equity firms and investment companies all over the place. People would read it. One company in particular thought, this is interesting. They, they're saying they're going to be worth a billion dollars before too long. Of course, it was way more than a billion. But when you're starting out fresh to say that, boy, I'm going to be worth a billion dollars, that's pretty audacious. It's a mm -hmm. lot of chutzpah. But you got the numbers to back it up, hopefully. So they brought in an expert, a college professor in economics. And they said, can you take a look at this plan? Tell us what you think. Well, he looked at the basic fundamental model of Uber, that they were going to be, they'll have ride sharing, but the key piece is transportation for people. Mm -hmm. And the professor came back and said, look, right now there are, there's lots of competition in this field. Aside from public buses, trains, uh, you have taxi and limousine commissions. Every city has cabs, big deal you call up. You have alternate means. And by my calculation, this entire industry is X. And they're coming in and they're saying they're going to be worth 30% of X, 40% of X, starting from ground zero. That's absurd. It just can't happen. Well, two lessons here. One is that frequently the experts are wrong because their bias prevents them from seeing the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. That's opportunity. And in this case, he didn't see opportunity. He saw limitations. He saw, you know, you've got to get by tax and limousine commissions, very heavily regulated. Uh, where are they going to get all these people? It just, e even if they're right, it's too risky a venture. So he couldn't see that far. What he didn't understand was this wasn't about replacing a given market. It was about growing a market. Taxis and, and limousines and, and public buses and trains could exist side by side with Uber. But what Uber did was it expanded a market by saying, telling people, you don't have to be the designated driver. You don't have to worry about trying to find a cab at 10.30 at night and calling a company and hope they pick you up. Or in my case, streets in New York, growing up, if it's raining, you can't find a cab. If it's not raining, there are more cabs on mm -hmm. the street than there are people in a lot of cities across this country, or at least there used to be. So that's the uncovering opportunity. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCROC.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Well, they actually didn't just take market share. They created market. Yes. You know, yes. and that's, yeah, absolutely. So. I think also like, you know, the experts and analysts and all that, if they knew really, they'd be the ones starting the companies and having startups. When you have a startup, which I have two right now I'm working on. First of all, you have to have that vision and you have to have the vision that's unwavering and then pull and be committed to it. And then that pulls certainty so that when you're talking to someone and you tell them your moonshot, mm -hmm. you, they, they, they have to start questioning what their beliefs are because there is no way that's the inexorable part that you're going to be talked out about of what, what your vision is. <laughs> and then you create, you cause and create the future, the market, uh, the finances that may not even appear to be there yet. Yeah. And it's all imaginative that becomes into the physical universe through your imagination. Some people are you know, obviously delusional, but not when it comes to things like this. And right. to the degree somebody can follow through like Uber, I have a buddy of mine. Uh, I, I'm not going to say his name on here because I don't know if you, I don't remember if he said it on public, but he got offered to invest in Uber early on. He knew the owner and $25,000 investment. And he said, no, man, that's stupid. And he didn't. And, and the other guy that was with them did. <laughs> so uh, it's funny you brought that story up. But anyway, yeah. So 
Before we go further with chutzpah, because we can still hit some of the letters as we're talking in our conversation. Growing up in New York, like tell us about growing up and some of the adversities that you had and what you overcame and what you learned from it, and then how it pertains to the word chutzpah. Well, first of all, I would say one of the things I loved about chutzpah, excuse me, about New York, was that it truly was a melting pot, which meant I was meeting people, traveling with people, working with people who came from very, very different backgrounds than I came from. And that by itself, if you're open to it, becomes a wonderful education about the world. It's not classroom education, it's street education. And the street education enhances what we learn in the classroom. I'll leave it at that. And I can argue uh, that it's sometimes a lot more important. Absolutely. So, I, well, well, Clubhouse, have you, are you familiar with Clubhouse? Yeah, of course. So, so I'm in Ocean City. It's not very diverse here. I grew up in a, like in high school, it was a country town outside of, you know, Baltimore and DC and Philly and all that. It was a country town, not very diverse. I played football college. It was diverse, but Clubhouse has taken me back to that diversity. And it's just like, now you were saying this and I never thought about this because I've been talking about, I go in different rooms. I'm radically open-minded. And it, now you're, you're talking about, it, it reminds me of growing up in a city or being in a city and being around all these different people, different cultures, different mindsets. And uh, so, yeah, that's awesome, man. I love that. Well, some of the other things in, in my past, uh, New York or otherwise, I eventually left New York because sadly, I felt that for various reasons, the city was deteriorating. And whereas I saw a community and people working together, suddenly this, people seem to be separating into groups, uh, tribes, almost as we think of them. And I decided that, you know, I do want to move. I moved away to Buffalo for graduate school. And then when I came back, I got a job that was, uh, uh, it started was an 18-month training program with three separate uh, jobs in three separate locations. So I was in Connecticut, Chicago, and then the DC area. And this is where I stayed. Although that job, that company is long in my past. It was a great education. The, some of the things I learned was that I wanted the ability to make more of my own decisions. I was willing to take the risks that went along with them. You know the risk because you're an entrepreneur. You have multiple startups. You've done different things. You are a trailblazer, which is one of the key characteristics of chutzpah. Now, you don't have to open a company or be one of the billionaires fighting to, to get space travel, to commercialize space travel before the other billionaires, to be a trailblazer. They're trailblazers. You're a trailblazer. People who stretch boundaries, who stretch their comfort zones, which is another one of the, I believe you spoke with somebody recently on one of your podcasts about that, how important it is to stretch where we are comfortable, to say, look, I'm not crazy about that idea, but I'm willing to learn more and I'm willing to try things. As a trailblazer, there are a couple of key components. One, you accept that not every decision you make is going to be right. There are going to be failures along the way. There's no way to avoid that. Two, you're going to be criticized and laughed at when you do fail because everybody loves, especially people who feel very safe and refuse to stretch, say, <laughs> look what happened. I could have told you that wasn't going to work, right? It's when they succeed. It's, yeah, you know, I knew that guy went. It's like suddenly there's this pride. Mm -hmm. They're unwilling to take the risk for whatever reason, something in their background or especially the idea that, you know, that's going too far from where I'm comfortable right now. Yep. Yep. You mentioned uh, earlier what I call in the book, and the T, by the way, the trailblaze is for the T in the model, 
You mentioned something that I call purpose. And how do you use purpose? I think um, you call it stronger through adversity in your book, Mm -hmm. if I remember. So for me, that sounds a lot like purpose. The idea that our purpose will get us through adversity, and that makes us even stronger. Now, for me, I read another book prior to, to learning about yours, and this is by Viktor Frankl, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with it. No, I've heard okay. of it. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard okay. of it. Yep. It's one of the most difficult books I've ever read because the content is so, it seems out of the world that people can do these things to each other. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist. He was also a prisoner at the Auschwitz concentration camp mm-hmm. in, uh, in World War II. And he and his, and his wife swore to each other that they would do everything they could to stay alive so they could be together again after the war. That was his purpose. Now, he says that in essence, to fulfill certain things, at least in the camp, he saw something, whether or not you lived or died, first, there was the element of luck. If you were unlucky and you were chosen for the gas chamber or a guard was uh, in the mood to take target practice at live human beings, there was nothing you could do. Nothing emotionally, nothing about your character, your, your drive, your ability to, to show determination and grit was going to get you through that because luck changed everything in your path. It ended your future. But if you were lucky enough to be, lucky is a tough word here, to be on a work detail where all they did was starve you and try and work you to death, you then had two options. You could give up or if you had purpose, you could find a way to struggle. So what I learned from his book, was that we can't control what happens to us. The only freedom that we have in truly dire circumstances is to control our responses. So he said, even people who on the work detail with him, he was able to tell who was getting close to giving up, who had given up, and would ultimately then be chosen for the gas chamber, selected. Mm -hmm. So the purpose side got him, unfortunately his wife was one of the unlucky ones, but him and others who were also lucky through terrible conditions. Fortunately, we don't have that today. People do have very traumatic backgrounds or circumstances, but in our case, Mm -hmm. we're fortunate because we're able to talk about how can we impact people and make them better? How can we grow our businesses? How can we get more speaking engagements, sell more books, uh, help companies perform better? What's our purpose? We can have multiple purposes, but the purpose will keep us going through the really tough pieces. And Mm -hmm. the Z in my model is what I call zigzag. That's the situation where people who are fortunate, for the most part, they just get no, 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 impossible, impossible, impossible. So imagine, here's an example from the book that you're probably going to be familiar with it. An actor, probably, he's really, actually, this is true. He wasn't doing particularly well. He was getting some bit parts. He writes his own script. Legend has it in Hollywood that he was down to the last $300 in his bank account. And he pitched his script. Most people said no. Finally found a studio that said, I like this script and I'll pay you $300,000 for it. But I need to replace you as the leading man because I envision that. We envision that as a different leading man. So from nothing to I can sell my first script for $300,000. This was in the days when that was, it's still a lot of money, but it was a different level. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. He said, no, I wrote this script with me in mind as the leading character. Well, they negotiated some more. 
They cut him way back down from $300,000 and instead gave him a piece of it. And he retained rights to ownership and sequels, as if that's really ever going to happen. Well, you know the guy. Yep. Sylvester Stallone. And the movie was Rocky. Okay. So Mm -hmm. this to me is an example of chutzpah. To be able to look at, wow, that's a lot, but I know I'm worth more. I know I'm going to accomplish more. I just need to stay fast to my principles. So that was an example of the Z, the zigzag. He kept going from studio to studio till he found somebody. And then when that didn't work out, he negotiated further. Yeah. And then he, and then he acted in the movie and got all the Italians fired up, that, thinking that we could accomplish anything. <laughs> he, got, he got more than just the Italians fired up. He inspired <laughs> generations of people yep. to yep. pursue their dream. There's a movie out on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. And I think it's called Tonight's the Night. I think that's what it's called. And it's about a family in New York, New York City, I think Staten Island. And it's all about Rocky Three coming out. And the whole family's so excited. And it talks about their life and the challenges they're having in their lives and their family and all this, but it's all around Rocky Three's coming out. Not to ruin it, but there's one part in there where there's all that, not just Italian people, but there was an Asian gang and they dressed up in Rocky robes and went to the thing and they, and they thought that they were like, they were like a part of it too. And then and it showed another gang, Italian gang, and they came in and they beat up themselves and had black eyes on purpose. So when they went to the movie, because Rocky was all beat up, like in other right. movies, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's not like a, an Oscar performance or anything like that or anything that's going to win any awards, but it was, uh, it's just funny. But anyway, I'm going to look rest. for it because um, I remember Rocky three. I don't remember Rocky number 74. Honestly, I don't know that I got that far. Yeah, into yeah. The <laughs> but those first couple yeah. of movies yeah. were exceptional. Yeah, and, they were. And again, it wasn't that the studio gave him a break. He could have sold it for $300,000 and he would have just been gotten a writing credit and maybe a small acting credit by holding true to his dreams, by his having the willingness to walk away. Mm-hmm. That's the chutzpah that we're talking about. Yep. Yep. Well, Mason, uh, we're running short on time here, but I want to ask you two more questions and it's going to be in one question here. What is, what is it that you're doing right now that's got you fired up and excited? And what is your vision for the future? Well, uh, what has me fired up basically is every day is another challenge. We are in this era of the pandemic, which is unlike anything that I've seen in my life. And I know that I look like I'm still in my 30s. I just prematurely gray. Uh, this is different. We don't know if it's going to change again in a year or two years or how dramatically our society will be different. So pivoting is critical. I decided a couple of years back, because I was an entrepreneur, won some awards. I went back into the corporate world because I like the idea of mentoring younger people, training them, uh, trying to show them a way to be of more value to the organization that entrusted them with their name by sending them out there, mostly sales teams uh, that I was working with. But then I made the mistake, and that is I let my hair go gray. And there are all sorts of isms in the world. There's racism, there's sexism, there's also ageism. So I was a victim of that, but I, I'm hesitant to say victim because I'm not a victim of anything. I just mm-hmm. decided at one point, I'm going to go out and, and go back to public speaking, which I had enjoyed. So I picked January of 2020 as my launch date, and things are moving along January and February, and mm-hmm. March boom, off the cliff, nothing, everything canceled, and no idea how long it's going to last. So I decided, like most people who sat home and basically said, huh, I wonder what's on Netflix. Um, What's this Tiger King? That looks interesting. Mm -hmm. 
after watching the first couple of episodes was kind of like, I can't do this. I can contribute more. I need to plan for the future. Instead of getting upset and a little sad because poor, poor me, I have nothing right now. I decided to write the book, The Chutzpah Advantage. And that fortunately is generating attention. People are saying, you know, these principles, which make so much sense to be put together in a single model with stories that highlight each of these behaviors really is impacting me. So I hope to do some more pivoting. One, it's hard to get the public speaking engagements that I want. There's still some out there, but it's not enough to support what it is I want to do. Mm-hmm. So part of what I see the chutzpah advantage is a, a model for industry. So the chutzpah advantage as it exists right now is very general with examples and stories from medicine, from business, from movies, from baseball, from a cab driver, basically, how everybody can use these skills to just make changes in their lives to the extent that they want. Not everybody's going to be an Elon Musk, but everybody can be more satisfied with what they do, can be more productive, can be happier at home and at work, that they can do. So one step is to take the chutzpah advantage and do a a version, say, the chutzpah advantage for entrepreneurs, the chutzpah advantage for nonprofits, the chutzpah advantage for aspiring authors, the chutzpah advantage for aspiring podcasters. So using those same behaviors and showing Mm -hmm. that, hey, this is how you can do it. And these are the stories that show that this is getting done. And how are you going to disseminate that? Uh, Actually, I'm already in touch with a couple of people who said, I love the book. Can I do one with you on the chutzpah advantage? Okay, gotcha. Uh, and wellness. Yep, yep. And somebody else I'm in discussion with, the chutzpah advantage and nonprofits. Okay. I haven't started moving forward on that for this very simple reason. Books are not necessarily money makers, mm-hmm. unless if, and you know this, if we're selling 100, 200,000 copies, oh yeah, we can see a good return on that. But most books, if you hit 6,000 copies sold, you're probably in the top 10% of all books sold all time, right? And 6,000 copies sold, It'll probably get you back what it costs and your marketing costs, maybe. And it probably won't because there are always ongoing marketing costs. But the books give you authority or lend authority to your work, which enables you to impact others through public speaking or workshops or podcasts. So part of my hope for this year, because I don't know that public speaking is going to be opening up, is to do more internal corporate work, work with more sales teams work with more leadership teams. That's my goal moving forward. Yeah, because the chutzpah can be used to get through the pandemic and some of the things that are going to come from that. Yeah. So how can my audience get in touch with you, engage with you further? Well, my website is thechutzpahguy.com. Sometimes it's easier. You know, I heard this great speaker uh, on C-Rock's broadcast. I don't remember his name. He was the, the, the chutzpah guy. Yep, oh, okay, yep, that's yep, good. Yep, I'll yep, go with yep. thechutzpahguy.com. So that's my, that's my website. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is simple. It's mason at com. I love speaking to people. By the way, one thing I've discovered with my book is that, you know, book clubs are fun. Now, maybe it's only 10, 12 people in a room, but when you have a, more time than, than you need and somebody wants, it feels like we'd love to have you speak to us about your book for half an hour and 40 minutes. That's nice. It shows yeah. that I'm having an impact. It's not about the money at that point. The money's coming elsewhere. But that's a good thing to do. So mm-hmm. I, I love speaking to people, finding their chutzpah stories, because that's the basis for potentially future books. 
Yep. Uh, and also for learning more about people. We're in an ongoing quest to continue learning. You and I. Yeah. Well, Mason, I want to challenge you, man. You should get on Clubhouse and you could start a room. And when you get on there, who cares who shows up? One, two, five hundred uh, and start talking about this concept because people need to hear it. And uh, if you haven't downloaded the Clubhouse app, it's on a, it's in the, the Play Store or the uh, iTunes Store. And all you do I'm is just- I'm on Clubhouse. Oh, you are? Uh, so okay. I have an okay. account, but, but that's yeah. an interesting thought. I hadn't uh, really looked at creating my own Clubhouse account because I've been uh, trying to build people that are comfortable with my concepts, mostly on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. a little bit on Facebook. Those are the two primary, but LinkedIn is the bigger piece. And I've also started doing video. As a matter of fact, I put a video on uh, LinkedIn today, the first one, two minutes. That's my max on these. And it's about Peng Shui, the Women's Tennis Association, and chutzpah. Because chutzpah comes in different forms. You have chutzpah on steroids. The people, like I I mentioned Elon Musk because I'm a big fan. Yeah. You have that level. You also have self-serving chutzpah, which would be a Bernie Madoff. Those are the criminals who use the skills that they have at the expense of others. Yep, more destructive. Right? You have other serving chutzpah, which is Mother Teresa, which is people who, and all of us have a bit of that. When we reach a level where we're doing well, we need to give back more to our communities. That's our obligation as human beings. That's other serving chutzpah. Uh, then there's also what I call oive chutzpah, which is kind of like, oh man, I can't believe these people pull that off. It's not necessarily positive or negative. It's more like, can't believe they did that. And there's a great story in there. And the listeners can Google this. The fake Sports Illustrated kids reporter. True story about a kid when he was 10 and 11, and he and his dad would sneak into games at the garden by saying that he was the, the Sports Illustrated kids reporter. They'd call in advance. Can we get press box seats or down on the floor and go to the locker room afterwards and interview athletes? <laughs> Make a seat. Make a seat for yourself. You don't That's have a right. seat. You're making. <laughs> well, I, well, listen, Mason. I want to thank you for being here, man. And uh, this is the second time we actually had a chance to talk. And I wanted to bring you to my audience. So I want to thank you today. I appreciate that. If there's anything I could ever do, all you got to do is reach out to me. And uh, you know, let's go and get on Clubhouse, man. Start some rooms. Start some rooms and and bring some people into this hutzpah environment and culture uh, that you created because I like it and I have more people need to hear about it. So thank you for being here, Mason. Well, thank you very much again, and go Rocket Fuel. Let's go. That's right. Thrust is a must, as I say. (laughs) If you guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock, and as you heard, Mason is on his unstoppable journey to get chutzpah, the chutzpah advantage, out into the world. And if you guys like what you hear here, please go subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. Go watch it on YouTube if you like to watch these rather than listen. And until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, Mike crock.com forward slash book that's mike c-r-o-c.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy thank you so much for your support and your listenership it means the world to me